0: I want to talk with you about a topic I titled, Improving Your Financial Health. Luke 16 is where I'd like for you to turn to in your Bible or click open. Our financial health is important not only to ourselves, but to God. Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, 16 of his 38 parables dealt with money, possessions, and its management. I'm in the series of teachings where I'm titling the series the 1322 challenge because I'm focusing on how to manage our money and how to become healthier financially. But it comes from Proverbs 1322 that says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So God has in front of us this objective that you should live so financially healthy that you have goals that outlive you financially. And there are five promises that I've conveyed that I want to set for your expectations through this series. First, you will learn how to manage your money more effectively with no judgment attached. Second, you will learn life-changing strategies on debt reduction and how to bounce back from financial setbacks. Third, you will not be asked to give a special gift beyond your normal tithe and offering. The fourth promise, you will be challenged to make hard decisions in order to reach your financial goals. And the fifth promise is you will learn how to build wealth, money that lasts for generations. Those are five promises that we've made and are making to you. Let's begin reading at verse 1 of Luke 16. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Let's stop there. Jesus used parables to teach. A parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. And these parables that he presented, they're all different. They had different end goals. Some elicited compassion when you heard it or indignation. Others warned, calling for repentance and change. This particular parable was a little bit different. It had a great shock value because the primary character in this parable was a dishonest manager. Jesus was actually using a crook to teach us how to correct our money management. But I want us to be very careful, however, because this is one of the most difficult of Jesus' parables we must be careful because Jesus was not telling us that this money manager's character was good and upright. Jesus was not approving of this manager's relationship with God. Neither was Jesus approving of the long-standing management principles that this manager employed. Jesus has taken just a narrow slice out of this manager's practices at the end when his back was up against the wall. And Jesus said, do what this guy did at the end. But don't do it at the end in your life. Do it throughout your life. So I frame the teaching around a question. What financial lessons is Jesus pointing out? I offer three answers to the question. Answer number one, he's saying, manage your money. See, the story brings focus to the personal management of money by probing the actions of this dishonest manager. See, to manage money well, you have to put yourself in a position of being accountable to God financially. In the first century, there was this vocational role called a steward. We don't use that term much in our day. Rather, we use the word manager. But a steward or manager is someone whose job was to manage the financial responsibilities, the material holdings of someone who's wealthy. Jesus was putting us in that same role. He's saying, you, me, us, we are stewards, managers of everything we have under our oversight. In other words, your money, it's not really yours It's God's your car it's not really yours it's God's and so God wants to entrust us or has entrusted us with the management of those resources this dishonest manager though is really irresponsible because he was sloppy sneaky and shifty in handling his master's money in fact news about his mismanagement was all around the community. And the master, when he found out, people were coming up to him and said, hey man, your your manager is really, he's really willing and dealing and he's not handling your possessions properly. And so the manager called him into account. He says, give an account of how you've been managing my monies because you can no longer be my manager. And so the same way God has the authority to call you in and say, hey, how are you doing with my money? What did you do last week with the pay that you got? How did you handle your car last week and uh, are you taking care of it properly? Because by the way, that, that's, that's my car. That's my pay that I allowed you to get. Now, let's drill a little bit deeper because that's all to effect To effectively manage money, it requires a budget. Oh, I said it. Budget. See, a budget gives you control of the money. It puts you in the driver's seat of the financial area of your life. I don't know about you, but I I struggle sometimes being in the passenger seat, even if I'm in the front passenger seat. I want to be in the driver's seat. Call it what you may. I have a problem in being controlled. You're absolutely correct. I own it. I accept it. But in the same way, when it comes to the financial management of our lives, God says, I want you to be in the driver's seat. And so you then control the money by being a manager and establishing a budget. Now, the manager in the parable behave sometimes or much like some of us. We take our hands off the financial steering wheel and we start coasting. And we're coasting because we're complacent or comfortable or cozy. And we say, everything seems, it's okay. And so we just coast along. And so trouble starts when we neglect the money and we become negligent of the management of the resources. And as a result, we find ourselves in a whole lot of trouble and wonder how did we go sideways? We went sideways because we took the hand off our steering wheel. Imagine now right before you pulled into your driveway, you stopped at a gas station three blocks from the house, and you told them, fill it up with gas. They filled it all the way up, and you pulled into the driveway, and you get out, and you do the things that normal people do at night. You have your dinner, you reconnect with your family, you read, you watch TV, you have conversation, you get ready for the next day, and then the next morning, you get out of your car, and you sit in the car, and you turn the engine on, and then the needle on the the dashboard that tells you how much gas you have, it stops at three-quarter tank. And you wonder, how did it stop at three-quarter tank? I thought I filled it up last night. But then you start thinking, maybe I didn't fill it all the way up. Maybe I only somehow, I don't know, Just it just came to three-quarters and I didn't even realize it. So you just drive to work and you don't think about it. Take another scenario. You fly into Pittsburgh and you need a rental car to get to your destination. You go right to the Avis rental company and you stand there in front of the counter and you say, I'd like to rent a you know, a medium-sized car. And they said, yeah, we have a Camry ready, and here's the contract. We're going to give you a full tank of gas. We're, you, know, the, you know, the odometer reading is, is this. They tell you the number of miles. And when you return the car back to us, we want the same amount of gas to be in the car, and we want you to record the new odometer reading so we can know how many miles you've went. And please sign here on the dotted line to affirm that you agree with all of what we've just said. And you sign. And then the moment you sit into the car, before you start it you start up, you look at the, the gas needle, and you say, yep, it's full. Somehow, under that scenario, it was so exacting, you were so assured, you were so clear, it was firm. That's what a budget does. A budget gives you clarity. A budget lets you know How much money you have, how much money you don't have, what you can buy, what you can't buy. A budget, it just helps you to monitor where you are financially and it just gives you a good sense of comfort. There are no shortcuts to budgets. There are no shortcuts and and don't be like the guy who always wants to take shortcuts. So he climbed to the mountaintop because he wanted to go and talk to God. He just got up down the mountain, he's looking over the cityscape and Taking in all that breathtaking view, and then he starts saying, God, what's a million years to you like? And God says, It's like one of your minutes. And he's standing there and he says to God, God, what's a million dollars to you like? And God says, like one of your pennies. And then he pauses and he prays. He says, God, can you give me a million dollars? And God says, wait a minute. And, and, and sometimes that's what we want. We just want shortcuts. We want magic. We, we, but this is not the magic kingdom. And so there's a budget that's needed. A budget is a personal spending plan that guides your financial decisions and choices. It lets you know when to say yes. It lets you know when to say no. It lets you know how to respond to any and every money-related opportunity. That's what budgets do. It's amazing what they do and how it brings a sense of clarity. I love Sarah. You can see that she was going somewhere. This little seven-year-old. The moment she went to the farm, she spotted this large watermelon, and she walked with the farmer and said, I'd like to buy that. And he says, sweetheart, that's $5. And she said, I only have a dollar. Then he pointed to the small watermelon in the middle of the patch. He said, you can buy that small watermelon. And she says, sold, done. Here's the dollar, but keep it on the vine. I'll come back in a month. (laughs) So here she is. She's so sharp. She knew that a month, the the watermelon's going to grow and become just as large as the other one. But what she understood was deferred gratification. If you can learn to delay some of your choices and financial actions, you'll be so, so secure. Budgets help us to learn the power of delayed gratification. I want you to see how significant it is. Now, to help you complete a monthly budget, we took the time to design a user-friendly budget as part of the 1322 challenge. So what we're saying is that if you want to bring your financial life in order in a holistic way, then let's give you the tools to then be able to say, when I visit the website, ChristChurchUSA.org, click on the 1322 challenge, banner, then it's going to take me right to this landing page and there I get a chance to now work with these tools. Why? So I can put my financial life in order by having a monthly budget template that adds up everything. All you got to do is put in the information how much I pay for utilities, what my car note is, what do I pay for rent, what was I mortgage. And then it does all of that for you. Why is this so important? Because once you go through the budget process, you'll become comfortable and confident and feel in control about the management of your financial life. And it's so, so important. Wave at me if you're with me. We need to do this. And we also took the time to put together an annual expense form. There's some things that we miss out on when we do budgets. What about birthdays? Anniversary gifts, Christmas presents, the maintenance of a car. It's not every week, not every day that you do that. And so it may be every six months, every four months. And so when you take the annual cost of those items and you put them in a monthly form in terms of monthly amount and then you take those monthly amounts and then bring them into the budget, all of a sudden you feel so secure because you're going to be the antithesis of this dishonest manager. You're going to learn that to manage the money that God has entrusted to you. When you do that, you do it by establishing the these kinds of principles, budgeting, your know, annual expense forms, and you find yourself saying, "Man, I can do this." And I want you to know you can do this. If after service you say, "Man, I just I'm hungry. I'm going to stop by the barn, that restaurant on Green Pond Road," and you pull in, get a table, and then. I decide to do the same, and I pull right in, and I see you sitting there and said, just about a service. And I walk over to you, and I want to be polite and tactful, and I just bend over and whisper in your ear, "Is this meal in your budget?" <laughs> a couple of things are going to happen right at that moment. You're going to, that meal's going to either taste a lot better. Or it's going to be very, very... Nah, I don't like it. It's going to be... going to say, I don't know. It's too salty. It, but you'll know because budgets help you to be able to say yes, no. It limits your options because you know your hand is on the financial steering wheel of your life. Jesus was teaching us that lesson by using a crook as an example. Now, when I look at that lesson... There's another lesson that comes to the surface. We must monitor your debts. The dishonest manager was wasteful with his master's money. He paid little to no attention. The manager only started to focus when his back was against the wall. The fear of unemployment. The fear of being thrown out where you can only get a menial job. Low social status. Homelessness you know, and perhaps potential imprisonment because it was a crime what he was doing. And so it drove this man to take immediate action. And this is when he shined. In fact, Jesus said in verse 8, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Could you imagine Jesus telling this? His disciples are in the audience. There's some religious folks, the Pharisees, strict Jewish people that are very technical, crossing T's, dotting their moral eyes. They're in the audience. And then there are folks that they, they, they don't know why they're there, but they're just there. And Jesus said, look, he's teaching, said, the children of this world are more shrewd, they're sharper, they're smarter, than the children of the light and believers when it comes to dealing with the business affairs of this world and the people of this world I can see Peter in the audience Matthew James and John Bartholomew disciples of Jesus Peter leans over to to James James did he just say that these sinners are smarter than us when it comes to money did I hear him correctly James said yeah man that's what he said I mean, could you imagine this sense of shock? See, what Jesus is saying is that you can walk righteously before God, but if you don't understand money, your righteousness before God has very little impact on your monetary standing. It's two separate and entirely different issues. Now, Jesus, when he talked about this crook, There were two things the crook did as it relates to monitoring debt. It was as as if Jesus was giving a high five. Good job, man. Nice, sharp. Brilliant. Good move. Spot on. First thing that that crook did, he created a debt summary statement. The manager did not sit down Uh, Sit around hopelessly awaiting his fate, saying, Man, I don't know when I'm gonna get thrown out of here. I don't know how much longer I have. He didn't sit there. He summarized the list of debtors to know who owed what so he can be able to determine the markup that was there and the margin in which he can be able to say, I'm gonna make a deal. Let me ask you a question Do you know how much you owe? To whom? What's the due date? Don't, don't, in other words, what Jesus is saying, don't ignore financial responsibilities by missing due dates or deadlines. You know, some people, they just, when the bill comes, they just throw it in a drawer, shove it in. And so they, they don't know, where is that bill? I don't even know, I have a bill. Out of sight, finish the statement, out of mind. And so Jesus is saying, don't ignore your creditors. Don't, 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 don't ignore their phone calls, their callings. You tell the kid, don't answer that, don't answer that. Don't answer it. And so what Jesus is telling us, look, we got to take actions that's going to help us become fiscally responsible because it's a big deal to God and to you. I remember years ago before our church owned any property, there was no East Campus in Montclair. There was no West Campus here in Rockaway. We were renting space and we were renting a, a space in a catering hall. They'd use the hall to cater and do lots of parties and receptions. And they allowed us to use the space on Sunday morning since it was not prime time. And we'd go there and set up chairs and tables and that was portable church. And I was teaching on money management. Yeah, again, all the way back then. Over 20 years ago. And after the service... They had given us this little small room, it's almost like a green room. You can go in there, I can catch my breath, get a cup of water, and just just regroup. When I walked into that small little room, there was the catering manager. And he's not normally there, he's in his office. This was our private space for those hours, an hour and a half or so. And when he was when I walked in, he was crying uncontrollably. I'm seeing this big, burly guy weeping like a baby. And he was in there. And, and he was there. He couldn't control himself. He was waiting for me to come in. And then here's a guy. He, he, he had said before, I don't believe in Jesus. And I just want to do a good thing for your church. And and and, he, and he's weeping uncontrollably. And, and, and I said, what's going on, Frank? And, and he, he was so broken. Broken up. He, he couldn't even speak clearly. He said he said reverend, he said i've messed up and I, I messed up financially I, I wrote checks that our company didn't have the money to cash and the checks bounced and, and 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 we're at the verge we have to file bankruptcy now I, I blew it and 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 he's talking and he's and he's weeping even more and louder and, and his body's shaking and he's just he's just undone and he's saying this this business was handed to me by my father which was handed to him by his father, which was handed to my grandfather by his father. And I'm the fourth generation. And on my watch, I blew it financially. He said, I I just messed up. I just threw my arms around Frank. And he sobbed. Like a baby. This whole debt thing... it can eat you out and there's no easy way around it but to say I'm going to put a debt summary form together we've done that for you when you take the 1322 challenge we offer you a well-organized debt summary form it'll take you some time to organize and figure out Okay, who are my creditors What do I owe? What's the interest rate? But what that does, it'll put everything in front of you on one document so you have a big picture. Now you understand in a way, let me now pray through, get strategy, and dig my way out of any financial hole. Jesus affirmed this dishonest manager's tactic to get a full picture of the indebtedness owed his master the second thing that jesus affirmed this manager to do in monitoring debts it was that he is almost like a high five high five and that is he he was confirming and affirming this shrewd manager because he negotiated with his debtors i mean the idea was that those who owed his master money let's sit down and i'm going to renegotiate Based on the margin of capacity I have in my role so that my master will have cash rather than outstanding debt that's just been carried on the books for maybe months or maybe years. We're going to settle this. And I want you to know that if you're someone in debt, creditors are willing to renegotiate. And I'm not saying that you should shirk your responsibility, but what I'm saying is that there is so much latitude that you can have to renegotiate. If you want to accelerate payments, you tell them. See, cash is king. My dad is 91 years old and in a nursing home for about eight years. Suffers from dementia and he's, in essence, incapacitated. He's had about six strokes. And I remember after his second stroke, when he's still living at home, he regained mental competency and faculties, maybe about 80%. And I went to the house, and I brought all the legal documents because he had never taken time to get his life in order. He was an accountant by profession, brilliant accountant. I remember when I was a boy and we'd go grocery shopping and the four island kids, mom, dad. And he'd go grocery shopping. He'd, I'd wheel the cart and he'd put all the items in, fill up the big shopping cart. He would add up everything in his head while we're having conversations, including the tax. And I saw him several times correct the cashier from what he did in his head. Old school accountant. And after that second stroke, I put all the documents together. I'm the power of attorney and make all of his business decisions, financial decisions, all those things. Then when he was placed in a nursing home and I remember going through all of his financial stuff and I was so, so shocked by all of the all of the bad choices and even how at times he li- would lie on his taxes he had a problem with gambling i had led him to Christ, he never even had a chance to really grow in his faith because of his mental problems that happened, dementia and others as a result of stroke and age and his physical medical state but I remember when I put all those things together in a debt summary and trying to get a handle on the mess. Here's a brilliant accountant that mismanaged his financial life in a such a horrific way. I remember calling up the creditors and I said to them, we're going to renegotiate. I'm going to give you two options. I have no legal or moral, I'm sorry, I have no legal or financial responsibility over my father. He's an adult male that made choices. I have a moral, ethical one, but that is not equate with legal and financial. I don't have to give you anything. I want to settle the debt and give you this amount. If you don't take this, I will give you the address where where he is. And you go and speak to someone that doesn't know where he is and who he is. These are your options. They say, I'll take option A. You can always renegotiate. But you have to understand, this, this whole debt thing, it's, it's, it's very tough. And sometimes you have to make tough decisions. And if your credit card is a source of huge temptation to you because you can whip it out, as quick, it seems painless. Then we want to create an opportunity for you next week. Next week, Sunday, right here, right here, right on this stage, we're going to have a slay the debt beast moment. Now, you may say, well, what, what are you talking about? I'm saying that if your credit card jumps out of your pocket and you find yourself buying things that you can't afford and you're whipping it out to play the big man or the big woman, here you are, you, 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 you're going to a restaurant. And there are 30 people at a restaurant at your table. And then I don't know why you said it, you, can, you can't even afford a cheeseburger. And you're there, and, 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 and then you say to everybody, I'll take care of this. You got your greedy nephews sitting there, they ate three steaks. You got your crazy mother in law sitting over there. And you got you know, your, your greedy son sitting back there who had five hamburgers, and he's only six years old. And then you're whipping out that credit card, playing the big man to impress people. And when you do that, you can't even afford it. It took you, and it's going to take you 10 months to pay that meal. And then on the way home, your son's saying, Daddy, my stomach hurts. You, and you're taking 10 months to pay the meal. Why? And that's why we're having a slay the dead beast moment. And so now don't you get slick and take that credit card and look at it with love in your eyes. And we only have a week together. Let's go on a spree. No, you stick that thing back in your wallet. Stick it back in your purse. You don't. You lock. Put on a lockdown. Next week when we come, we're going to have that moment. And don't you feel embarrassed? Because this is your family, and we're here to say: if you have a temptation with that, we're celebrating your victory and your liver and deliverance. We're not looking down any shame filled eyes on you. We're going to celebrate your being an overcomer. That's what it's all about. And so, next week, don't you look at me in that tone of voice. What I'm saying is that you have to make some hard decisions. And some of you, if you want to get out of debt, hard decisions. If you have to cancel cable, cancel it. You said, what will I do? Listen to the radio. <laughs> say no to bachelor and bridal parties. What are you doing going to Aruba for some destination bachelor parties? Sell the, send them a text. Congratulations. Free. Limit your entertainment cost. You know, if you have to sell your expensive car to buy a cheaper one, sell it. Why are you paying $800 a month car payment when you can't afford it? Sell it. Buy a Hyundai. You can't afford a Hyundai? Buy a Han. We'll just put a day on it. I just want you to understand the dynamics. You don't need to impress anybody. In fact, after the service, I'm going to take a bunch of Snickers out, Snickers to the parking lot, and I'm going to put it on some cars. You can't afford it. You can't afford it. You can't afford it. Sell it. you see a sticker on your car just leave the thing alone I'll give you a scooter you just go home (laughs) we're being funny but the idea is so real you got to make hard decisions sometimes when it comes to debt I love what James Lendell Basford said the man who never has money enough to pay his debts has too much of something else what do you have too much of Sell some of the stuff in your house. You don't need it. Sell it. So to improve your financial health, you must manage your money. Monitor your debts. And we see Jesus also telling us something very important. He tells us that we have to meet God's expectations. When we meet God's expectations, He's pointing out the idea that God expects us to be financially healthy. And it starts with being trustworthy. And when you deal with the issue of being trustworthy, he's telling us the whole issue. Sometimes we fall into a trap because we, as Christ followers, we devalue the role of money, and we somehow cause that devaluation causes us to be neglectful in our management of it. But we have to meet God's expectations, that is, carry ourselves in trustworthy ways. What Jesus said in Luke 16 and verse 14 was this. When the Pharisees, a money-obsessed bunch, heard him say these things, they rolled their eyes, dismissing him as hopelessly out of touch. So Jesus spoke to them. You are masters at making yourselves look good in front of others. But God knows what's behind the appearance. What society sees and calls monumental God sees through and calls monstrous. I mean, that's pretty heavy. Jesus was telling these Pharisees that you guys, you guys, you look financially healthy, but when I get close, you're really financially sick. What Jesus was saying is that you guys, instead of focusing on the private actions that build success, you focus on public appearance That gives the illusion of success. So why? And these guys, these Pharisees, which were religious rulers, very strict, they walked away saying that Jesus' story harassed them rather than walking away saying that Jesus' story helped them. And I want you to understand that if you're going to be someone that is impacted by the principles of the kingdom of God that says, look, there are benefits of being being someone who's a good steward of the resources God's given you. It means that God trusts you. And when God trusts you, you become financially healthy because you're taking care of his His money. And there are benefits, huge benefits associated with being financially healthy. One of which is that you have peace of mind. You're also able to better manage your money because there are no gaps in your understanding as to where did my money go? Now the benefit of managing money is that you gain God's trust because money management is a test. And when God trusts you, He also will trust you not only more money, He'll trust you with the true riches of the kingdom which is influence over people. One of the greatest benefits you gain from being financially healthy is that you have a roadmap towards financial security and real legacy. See, it's not about how much money you make, whether you make $50,000 a year or $50 million a year. It's not about the amount. It's about you being a manager of what God's given you. Rather than grieving over or be over, I don't make enough. Do the same things. We all know about all these professional athletes. Three to five years after they retire from the league. Whether it's NFL, NBA. They don't have any more money. Why? Because it's not about how much you make. It's about did you manage your money? Did you monitor your debts? Did you meet even God's expectation of being trustworthy and seeing yourself as a steward before God? And when you do that. And we should. I want to let you know. You will fulfill The 1322 challenge. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. That's what I want to be. I want to be a 1322 guy. And I want you to be a 1322 congregation. People that feel I am managing the resource that God's equipped me to manage in a way that is trustworthy before God. May I pray with you, please? Let's stand together.